This is the Rev Thinking Podcast. Insights and conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. You may or may not be aware of Rev Community, which is a private community that I and my peers at Rev Think curate. It's basically a gathering of studio and production company owners and creative leaders. Now inside that community, we have more than a few studios who have pitched and worked with FX networks. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to get one of the people inside FX to come on the podcast to talk about collaboration and specifically pitching? So in this episode, we're going to try and make it as insightful as possible by tapping into one of the most hardworking and sought after creative minds, my friend, Steve Viola. Now we had originally planned this conversation before the pandemic, but obviously fate had other ideas in store for us. So Steve and I are grateful for potentially even better timing. So I invite you to join me and Steve in this episode of Rev Thinking as we unravel some of the wisdom and the really invaluable lessons that Steve has gathered down through the years in all of his various collaborations on both the studio side and now on the client side of the table. Oh, and one more thing before I go. If you're interested in joining that community with your peers of studio and production company owners, please jump in, join us. Go to revthink.com community. Now sit back and enjoy this episode with me and Steve Viola. Do us all a favor. Can you introduce yourself and say like your title and, you know, the, what's the log line of, you know, how you describe your, your role inside FX? Sure. Uh, so my name is uh, Steve Viola. I'm the senior vice president of design and visual effects for FX. Uh, I oversee a number of areas under the marketing group. Um, that's motion design. Uh, we do internal visual effects for promotions. Um, we also do, I have a team called Integrated Design, which uh, is sort of like our 360 flywheel brand um, entity that helps kind of extend the brand across all uh, touch points, making sure that we have the quality control and, and the creative that extends out where it needs to. Uh, we also have an, uh, a group called Content Design, which is sort of the crossover and connection between our design team and our uh, content and editorial team. So we do custom promos and IDs and things that kind of help further the branding of all of our content. Wow. So now I'm, I'm kind of curious. That was a very um, cool explanation for somebody in the industry, right? That sort of understands a lot of those terms and so forth. So when you're 16 month old son or daughter? Son. Okay, son. So when he's old enough, right, when he's two or three or four, and he says, Daddy, what do you do for a living? You know, what's your job? How would you explain that to him? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so it's, um, it's pretty much all of the... Uh, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, it's design. It's making pretty things to help sell our shows, right? I mean, that's pretty much right. what it is. 
Right, like helping people find all the cool stuff on FX. Take away, uh, making things that look visually stunning and appealing, so that we can cut through the noise and we can get people to watch the shows and to identify the shows with the brand because the brand is a big part of it. Right. Okay, I, I like that version. Um, so I have a fun little thought here. I was going to start off by just doing a quick, I'll call it for lack of a better term, a quick speed round, just to orient some of us of just like, maybe what is a day in the life like of Steve Viola. So are you, if, are you ready for this? You can give one word answers if you so, you so desire. So this is, this is playing off of, um, we had a conversation with you inside of my confab group. And I remember asking you this and everyone was in shock. So the first question is, how many emails are in your inbox right now? Wait, read or unread? <laughs> I mean, let's say unread. Let's start there. Uh, unread? Uh, hang on. Sorry. This is, I know it's supposed to be a speed round, but I got to bring it up. I love it. Okay. Well, before the pandemic, it was zero. I made sure I had zero unread emails. Now it's 10,000. Okay. And <laughs> but just from this morning, it's probably about 20 so far. Okay. And then how many meetings do you figure you average on you know, a normal day, a busy day? A uh, busy day is probably about a meeting every half hour for about 12 hours. Wait, is that 24? Well, I wouldn't say it's that much. Maybe it's about 15 to 20 meetings on a really bad day, 15 meetings probably, maybe, maybe a little bit more. Usually those run over, like, you know, we end up having to cancel them because you just can't fit that much in. And if you were going to guesstimate how many projects you are overseeing right now, roughly, what would you guesstimate? guesstimate? Uh, simultaneously about 21 different projects right now. That's across brand and, and the shows. Okay. Yes or no. Do you love your job? I do love my job. <laughs> nice. And then this is a total joke question. What's the FX annual marketing budget? Of course, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you that honestly. <laughs> I just for for the fun of it, because um, of course, uh, there's so there's so many moving parts. Really, I think to you know where you are, and you're a part of obviously a larger ecosystem. Um, so the here's maybe kind of an interesting question to help maybe all of us understand what is it that you're really trying to do on a daily basis. So inside FX, what does it look like when you and your department, your peer group, everything are successful? What, what happens in the world? Um, you know, the biggest thing that we look for is attention. And, you know, our biggest focus is to get people to recognize and appreciate the FX brand for being, you know, um, a, you know, a, an indicator of quality content. You know, we like to try to be up there with the HBOs of the world. Um, and so whenever we feel like people are engaging with and talking about the brand and the shows in that way, I think that that's, that's big for us. You know, we love, even if it's like a press article that's, you know, raving about the, the shows or if something catches on and things start going viral, I, you know, what's amazing is when you start seeing like the bear, right? How viral that went, uh, all the guest chefs and everything. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, getting into the zeitgeist like that. And that, I mean, that's really the show content more than the marketing, but you know, our, we always say that our job is just getting them to watch episode one, right? And then it's the show's job to kind of carry it from there. Um, yep. so really, but, but we're all about like, you know, buzz and, and getting people to identify the brand with quality and wanting to 
seek out the brand. So the any time that we hear that you know that that's successful, um, I I think it's it's great. You know, I mean, it, to, in some degrees, to some degree, the shows are in service to the brand, right? Uh, it, it, the the more we can mm -hmm. reinforce the brand, the more we can then have people seek out the next show, right? So. I think that that's that for me, that's really important. That's one of the reasons I like being in this area that we're in where we are dealing with both the shows and the brand and trying to have the two feed off each other. So anytime that we really see a lot of positive engagement in that way, that's that's great for us. And I'm guessing some of that is measurable, but a lot of it is probably also subjective in terms of measuring whether or not you're winning. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty subjective, um, especially yeah. since I think, you know, we're still in the grand scheme of things, we're still pretty niche. Um, you know, we, we, and we try to be, we try to be very boutique. Like, you know, we try not to make sure that we outgrow ourselves and try to do too much because then the quality level comes down. And so when you're niche in this, in this kind of a market, um, in such a competitive market with behemoths that, you know, um, it's, you know, it can be hard to, to cut through, you know? So again, that goes to the, why I think you really need a, a strong, a strong brand, you know? All right, so I'm, I'm curious now to maybe take a step back and go back maybe more than a few years because I would love to, to understand what are the, well, maybe what are the major career bullet points, right? If you go back to like when you started in the industry, you were here and there and all that sort of prepared you for what you're doing now at FX. Can you give us a glimpse of those bullet points? Yeah, I'll, tr I'll try to I'll try to do a glimpse. Um, so... I started out uh, with an internship at Universal um, and was able to turn that into very quickly. Actually, I exited the internship after about a month and ended up, um, you know, being employed there as a motion designer. Um, got a bunch of finishes. Uh, my next job in the industry was at uh, Intralink um, doing as an art director. Uh, working on theatrical marketing. And that's where I, I learned a lot there because Anthony Goldschmidt, which we all joke that Interlink was what we call the Anthony Goldschmidt finishing school, um, that he he was the guy who had, you know, he had the presence in the room. He knew how to pitch. He had a lot of confidence. He was also a consummate artist. I mean, he was sort of like a creative eccentric. And so um, I learned, this is probably a, a good lesson uh, that I learned early on was um, not to be too precious about your ideas and, and to be too worried about whether or not someone would think it was a bad idea. I mean, I'm watching this guy pitching to, you know, industry titans and he's throwing out terrible ideas, in, you know. And so it, um, it really made me realize that, you know, it's kind of that idea that, you know, no question's a bad question. It's like no idea is necessarily a bad idea and you should, you know, really try to... Um, Put yourself out there and and so that that was a, a, a groundbreaking moment for me um i went from there to become a creative director uh at a few different companies um always trying to find that same vibe as interlink so i kind of moved around a little bit landed uh at a place which eventually became uh that we i ended up running under uh the method studios umbrella um called method design um and then we that really took off you know i was there for a little over three years, I think, um, close to four. And um, we had a really big success rate. We did a lot of main titles. We did a lot of uh, Marvel main titles and Marvel marketing campaigns at the same time. So we were like the the design company around Captain America and, uh, and the Avengers. 
um, you know, and, and that went really well. And then we just kind of outgrew ourselves um, and hit a bit of a barrier. And that's when I started looking for the next thing. And, and I got uh, hit up for this, this position at FX because FX was growing. Um, and uh, I was a big fan of FX. And, uh, and I went and I met Stephanie and uh, she kind of blew me away in the interview. And I was like, I have to work for this person. Um, so that was 10 years ago. Uh, actually, right now, that was when I interviewed. And then so in November, it'll be 10 years now at, at FX. So it's interesting. Would you say it's uncommon that people in that world at FX come from what you and I might call the agency side? Well, I think that it speaks to what we try to do at FX and the way Stephanie likes to structure the team that it's kind of like, I mean, we don't call ourselves this, but it's kind of like an internal agency. There's a, Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of internal creative that we find necessary to drive the the voice the brand and the voice and the tone that we want on our on our shows um that you just need to have a certain amount of that internal creative and to support that you need to have a certain amount of internal capabilities and and so you kind of grow the team around the need to generate and so it's less about having network executives and people who have come up through the ranks uh on the network or studio side and it's more about people who have actually been involved in the creative process um and i think since we do output uh, things that we try to make, you know, creative, break creative barriers, I think it's enticing and, and we're able to actually, you know, attract and recruit people from the agency side. Which is super cool, right? Because I'm thinking back to my days when I was running a studio, someone like you would definitely have been like my dream client. Like, oh, Steve lived in my world. He very much understands what it's like being a studio slash creative agency and coming in and right trying to make the connection and trying to build a relationship and hey let's work together and all that um so i would i mean do you count that among your strengths now in in terms of your job (laughs) i do i mean i think it it's a strength both for fx and for uh the partners that we work with um although i often joke that it's also a negative because you know i i know all the tricks <laughs> no wait negative for who negative for the the those agency partners yeah yeah <laughs> because like you know i know you know i can look at a bid and be like uh no <laughs> and i'm guessing that comes up uh, relatively frequently where you're like um hey let's let's take a look at this a little more closely or let's sharpen our pencils here and that sort of thing yeah 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 Although, I mean, to be That's fair, funny. obviously, you know, things aren't exactly the same they were 10 years ago. Um, and everybody does things differently. So sometimes, you know, I may, I may think that I, I've, uh, I've got their number. And then when we, when we kind of, you know, hash things out, it's like, all right, that makes sense, you know, for the way they're planning on approaching it. But I do think it, is, it, is, uh, it has been um, funny at times, uh, the ability to just kind of, um, you know, I guess to kind of protect us and, and make sure that our uh, budget's going to where it needs to go. Um, because, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, I, I think we have good budgets, but they're not, they're not astronomical. We're not Apple. <laughs> right. So it's, it, right. you know, we have to, we have to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and, um, and, uh, you know, just, um, getting things to where they need to go. And it, it can be tough sometimes, you know, um, trying to make sure that we're doing right by our partners and also getting things to where they need to be. I'm curious, like when you talk about working with partners, what sort of volume, like, is there a way, if you were stepping back and saying, wow, looking at maybe uh, all the work that is produced for FX over the course of a year, for example, and the 
bulk or the volume of work that's being produced internally versus externally, I guess, versus a blend? Could you even hazard a guess? Is it 80-20? Is it 50-50? I don't I'm just curious for some sort of gauge. Um, well, we've increased the number of originals uh, and we have um, kind of flattened our uh, scalability in-house. Um, and so, you know, we're not growing a ton. So we have to be more strategic than we used to be when we were a little bit more in a growth mindset um, to only be able to take on what we can actually handle internally. And usually the, the internally, our approach is that things that we do in-house, it's either because it it works really well with another area. So like, let's say print's doing, our print team is doing something that makes sense for us to link up with them, or we've come up with something internally that we know we can do, you know, live action uh, shoot, and then we just need to put color time in. And, you know, depending on what it is, we'll, we'll do things internally. And then other times the internal becomes more of a kind of a, a backstop, sort of a final line of defense where if we have gone out for like two rounds of pitches and we can't find something, um, we've kind of built up the team to a point where we have some really talented internal people who know the brand really well. And we might just have to pivot and say, all right, we, let's just figure this out in-house, you know? And so it, it's not like we try to take on, a, you know, half of our shows and half of our projects internally. It's kind of in support uh, of what our primary, which is actually to reach out and work with partners. So uh, I don't know how to quantify that. I, you know, I would say it's somewhere maybe between 60, 40, 60 being external. And sometimes it's upwards of 80, okay. 20, 80 being external, you know, it, it can really okay, wow. fluctuate. Right. But it's never 80% internal and only 20% external. No, it's never e even, even a year where we've, where we've done a lot in house. I don't even think we've hit the 50, 50 mark. I think most of the time, at least two thirds of our projects are probably out of house. So you're, um, it's safe to say there, you must be courted by a lot of external partners. <laughs> if we can just be honest, right? I mean, you're obviously someone who's just at the epicenter of a lot of work that needs to be done and you're coordinating with a lot of external agencies. So I would just think that you are um, somebody that every agency wants to, to meet and become friends with and so on. Well, honestly, I think I've done a good job over the years trying to to deflect that. <laughs> I uh, I have people reach out to me. Um, most of the time, I defer them to uh, to the VPs uh, in our department, who are the kind of the creative leads of of all the different projects. I have to look at everything. So there's a few people who have to look at everything, and I'm reporting into Stephanie. Essentially, all of Stephanie's direct reports have to look at everything. And then beneath us, there are that's where we start dividing up the projects. And so I, I usually let them do a lot of the decision making when it comes to who to go out to on a project. And then I tend to be a little bit more of a of a veto vote uh, more so than anything else. So if, if people are reaching out to me, um, I usually am kind of pushing them to them. Sure, sure. But I'm guessing that's been a transition, right? Where years ago, you were I'm guessing at, at a VP level. And then as you have moved up, you're, you're delegating more of those decisions and responsibilities, right? On the vendor side, I was, I was executive creative director running the design group at Method, but um, I kind of came straight into the SVP role here uh, because ah, I, I, was, okay. I was running a whole business unit. You know, I had a whole P&L. Um, you know, I, I was kind of the guy at, at Method Design. So uh, when I came to FX, it was sort of a natural transition to be the SVP running the department. So I actually could not speak to the experience of, of um, not being a department head on the, on the uh, 
studio or the network side. All right. So you mentioned a very important word a few minutes ago. So you raised it first of pitching, right? And I, you know, this is something that's sort of near and dear to my heart that I'm super curious to, to get some of your perspective on. And I remember you said something, maybe this was a year or two ago when you were in Confab. I can't remember, but it was really cool because you were talking about your time at Method and you were talking about some of the economics of, right, running that division, having P&L visibility, doing a lot of sales and pitching. And you said, I loved pitching. I, you know, like the, I got to a place where I wanted to pitch more and more and more. Do you remember sharing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did a little talk on that at StyleFrame conference too. That was a big thing for me. And that was actually a lot of people coming to me afterwards saying, that's just insane. Because I, I was talking about uh, the amount of money that we realized we were spending on pitching every year. We, we after, after a couple of years, we had done an analysis to be like, how much are we, you know, because we were, almost every pitch we did was, was free. We barely ever got a pitch fee. And so we were like, how much are we spending on pitches? Um, so we, we went and took a look and calculated, and we actually looked at it over, over a three-year span. And we found out that it was roughly about upwards of 20% of our cost was devoted towards pitching. So as opposed to, you know, 80% actually, you know, in production on awarded jobs and 20% of our cost was, was, was pitching. Right. So that's a big number. Um, but what, yeah, but (laughs) so what we decided though, um, and this was, you know, this, this was the thing that took a, a load of weight off our shoulders was look, pitching is the cost of doing business. We won't get a job if we don't pitch. There was not a single, there were very few, let's put it this way, there were very few projects that we would have gotten as a direct award, um, especially as uh, still kind of a young agency trying to get out there and compete um, with you know well-established companies. We we had to pitch on everything. So we said this is the cost of doing business, added into our, you know, our assumed overhead expense. Um, and essentially when we would everything that we would do, anytime we would bid something out there was a component on sort of the back end of our bids that um, added in that extra charge and it divided up that 20% across all of the shows uh, or projects. So we knew that whatever we were doing and whatever we're looking at in our bids and our, and, and our uh, revenue that we were already accounting for the pitch process. And so we didn't have to worry about trying to find a way to build back for that cost or can I afford to pitch on this? You know, now the other thing was that we had the benefit of, of approximately a 90 plus percent win rate. So we also didn't feel like we were too worried about losing those pitches, in which case the cost, that percentage would have gone up. Um, but yes. it worked it worked out really well and it, it kind of freed us up to just focus on pitching and, and focus on doing the, piss, the pitch the best that we could and not worry about how much cost we're, we're incurring in the process. At FX, we we do pay pitch fees, but they're kind of a pittance. I mean, there's you know <laughs> they have to come out of the actual project budget, and so we have to be careful because if we spend too much in pitches, like who wants to pitch on a project where half the budget went to the pitch process, right? <laughs> yeah. So right. We, you know, we have actually recently increased the pitch fees, you know, in recognition of just you know what's going on uh, economically uh, at this point in time, but. Um, it, uh, you know, I, I knew that we needed to pay pitch fees, um, even, however small they were, just to try to, um, you know, make up for some of that. And then, um, you know, I guess 
the biggest thing was that we put our all into every pitch. I knew when we at Method that when we pitched something where we didn't put our all into it, we were probably going to lose. And I can tell you the exact moments when I walked out of a pitch or walked into the pitch knowing we didn't have it. Pitched it anyway, walked out and said, we didn't get that and we didn't get it. Um, and it was because we were too busy or because we tried to not put everything into it because we didn't think that we would, you know, uh, we didn't want to incur the cost or whatever. And, uh, and that's when we lost. And so it's interesting. Once I got to FX, I could see people who did the same thing when, when I would actually start to then see pitches from other who were my formerly my competitors, which was an interesting look behind the curtain. Um, the, you could tell who got excited and put their all into a pitch and who, just got a and and who creatively thought about it and had more of a kind of a you know a top down kind of a creative director led conceptual development process that fed down to the artist level where concepts made sense versus people who took more of sort of like the art, the artistic you know the the sort of artist forward approach where it's like you know just kind of brief all the designers and let designer designers do what they do and i'm not saying that necessarily one way is better than another for us we could tell that you know highly curated uh, pitches that clearly had a conceptual basis, but were also executed to a high level and just had that passion kind of coming forward in the presentation just made all the difference. And so it kind of reinforced a lot of our thoughts at Method and why we, I think, had such a good um, track record on pitching. So I'm curious if you, well, for your thoughts on this, I want to um, maybe offer to bust a myth. Okay. And I can say this as a former agency owner myself that sure. I would talk about how much I hated pitching, but in a way I kind of loved it. It was, you know, I guess it was two sides of the same coin, right? I've heard numerous people in your position say, man, we would love to just always direct award, but the reality is the work's just not as good. And if I'm brutally honest, and I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of studios, right? These are a lot of um, agencies out there who might be mad for me to say this. I know that's true because I, I look back on my career and when we had to compete, it just called out something else within us. It really forced us to bring our best. And then we would look back and be like, yeah, like that was good shit. That was really our best. And because we were competing, if it had been a direct award, you know, it would have been <laughs> almost as good, but not the same. I'm just curious for your perspective on that. I think that there's a lot of dynamics at play here. Um, we, I would say that I don't enjoy the pitch process on my side of things either. The process of briefing multiple companies um, and, you know, hopefully doing midway, you know, reviews and then getting the pitch in and then, you know, trying to figure out how to present those things to, you know, everything that we have to Stephanie. And I, just the whole process is it's laborious. You know, it takes weeks. It's got, you know, it's it, it costs a lot more money. Um, it's not it's not a fun process, I would say. But I would but I think that. There's two benefits to it uh, for us. One is um, one of the reasons we go out of house outside of volume 
is that we don't think that we have the answers to everything. We don't think that we, you know, are going to be able to just with our internal team make things the best that they could be or come up with the best ideas. We want to go out and, you know, get get ideas from other places, you know, uh, a variety of ideas. Um, we may think that we want to go this way and then we see a pitch from someone and we're like, oh my God, we got to go that way. There's no way we can go this way anymore, right? So, so we, that's, that's, the, that's the biggest positive is, is, you know, getting that kind of full complement of creative exploration and feeling like you've really done your due diligence and, and found the best way to brand the show or to, or to market the show. Or even, we, you know, we do some main titles, you know, partnering with someone on main titles too. Um, the, the other side to it, though, is I do think that there's truth to what, you, what you're saying, which is, this is not why I would say that the, the former is why we, we go out for pitches, but I do think there is the added benefit for us, which is what you're saying, which is that when people compete, I do think they put more into it because of the competition. Um, we have done direct awards and we often tell people when we do a direct award that it's not awarded necessarily that you're pitching against yourself. That if you can't, you know, we'll usually divide the budget into creative exploration. The biggest thing that happens is you, you don't have to pitch against other people, but you still have to earn it. You're only going to get and you'll get paid for your work as opposed to getting like a small pitch fee. You'll actually get paid more for the work. So you, we end up breaking the budget into a creative development phase versus a production phase. So, you know, you get the creative development, but if you can't nail it during the creative development phase, we're going to have to pull it and then go back out for pitches because, you know, so we're kind of giving you sort of the, the opportunity to prove, to, to prove that, that you've earned the direct award, so to speak. Um, yeah. Because we only do it with a, a small number of vendors that we've worked with for a long time that we know, understand our brand, understand the, sh you know, certain shows. Uh, and so, um, so we have confidence that they can handle it, that they can do it. Um, but yeah, we always tell people that they're still kind of, they're pitching against themselves. Uh, but I have seen, even in those cases, uh, we've struggled. And I do think that the pitch process not only brings out the best, um, from a competition standpoint, um, but sometimes even your best vendors aren't going to crack it, you know? Right. There's certain variables, randomness, chaos, right. That you just, you don't know. That you don't know every project like every show we break down to we distill it down to the kind of the core underlying themes and then find a way to from that you know derive visuals visual metaphors concepts uh you know and and directionality and there's the aesthetics of the show and then there's the themes and there's there's the aesthetics of our brand and our brand pillars right and trying to take all of that and as Stephanie say, kind of put it into the, it's the crucible, right? Um, and, and come out with sort of the, the, the solution. Um, it's, it's, it's hard and it's, it's always different, right? And so even though you may have a vendor that's the best, it's like maybe that vendor is really good at uh, cell animation. Um, and on this project, after seeing the pitch, you realize we thought that's what we wanted, but it, this show just doesn't need cell animation. What we really need is to go do a live action shooter. We really want to do this thing that this motion design company did. And so um, it's, you know, it, there's so much about the, um, the style of it and the themes and, you know, and so you can't always, not any one person's going to have the answer. Right. And so, so it, finding the sort of the magic solution, the sort of the big surprise factor is, is, is a big part of it, you know? And that's why you, you kind of have to spread it around on, on a lot of projects because you'll never find that if you just go to the same person over and over again.
Okay. Well, the, the question I'm getting towards is, do you, 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 I'm sure, are familiar with this concept of like, you can only be great at something that you truly love, right? That if, if, you're, if you're doing something that you hate doing, like if you hate your job, you're not going to be great at it. And would you agree or disagree that that also applies to pitching in some way? Something that I will say is that I, I never really liked, well, I personally loved going into the room and doing the pitch, right? So I, I, I mean, I, I loved it. I would walk out of there feeling like a million bucks ready to go smoke a cigar. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, as the client, I often don't have time these days to sit in a room and actually get, get a pitch. Um, again, that's something that I kind of let the VPs deal with because I just don't have the ability to do that across all of the pitches that come in on all of our shows. Um, and, uh, I would say that that hasn't really hurt me that much. There are times when, you know, walking someone through the pitch actually makes a difference. Um, but I would say that the work often speaks for itself. And so in many ways, at least for us, you know, the ability to be a good salesman, the ability to be the pitch man doesn't necessarily make a big difference. It's the curation of the presentation. It's the, it's the creative director or ECD, whoever is in charge of, on, on the uh, agency side of, you know, formulating the ideas, working with the, the, the designers to put together the concepts you know, working through that, getting the level the, as high as it can be, figuring out how to, you know, how to present that, how to put the presentation together. Um, I think that that to me, for, from my vantage point, is the most important, more so than being like a really good salesman, a, a, you know, a pitch artist, so, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, just a side note, I was, as you were describing that, I was thinking, man, you guys must have the mother of all pitch library right? Like if, if you, if you had infinite time, I would be like, Steve, can I put you in a workshop and like, have you go through like the 10 best pitches of all time and the 10 worst or something like that? I mean, there must be like a lot of institutional knowledge and stuff around that part of the creative process. Yeah. And we have, uh, we've held on to every pitch that we've had since I got there for, from the past 10 years, we have a, a we have every one and, and we often go back and look at them because we were, I mean, you can ask my team this. I remember the best pitches, even from 10 years ago. And I'll say, go back, you know, this vendor that year on that show, uh, and we'll pull it back. And some of, if you talk to some of our, our uh, you know, long-running creative partners, they'll tell you that we have, in fact, when we've told them, we're going to shelve this, but, you know, we'll come back to it next year or whatever. They, they might hear from us three years later and say, hey, remember that pitch that you did three years ago? We want you to do that, you know? And so we actually do... We're not lying sometimes when we say like, we're going to come back to this. And we, we often do. Wow. That's really, I mean, it's just cool to think about. And I think that's obviously very, um, that's a kind and dignified way, right? To receive someone's effort and investment and say, no, this is, this is great. It's not a fit for now, but it very likely could be in the future and to pull it back out. Yeah. I, I will say for FX, uh, everybody at FX is really, um, careful and cautious and takes care to uh, protect and take care of our our partners, our agencies and vendors. Um, and so much so that <laughs> we sometimes have gotten into sort of interdepartmental spats over each department head protecting their vendor on a project where 
something may adversely affect that that vendor's work on the project. And so, um, you know, we're pretty fierce defenders of the people that we work with, even with our own uh, our own colleagues. Sometimes it's a friendly thing, but it's you know, it's uh, we're very. Uh, very careful and 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 do the best that we can. And I think sometimes that doesn't always come through, but we we really do care about the relationships. All right. So here's maybe an interesting question, and I'm 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 hoping I can even almost use this as a little soundbite for a course that I hope to teach about the pitch process, but not the creative, because obviously there's a whole process that we go through, right? Or that the, the agency and you the the network um, go through just to navigate this whole process to getting to a final award. So my question is something like this. What is there a favorite, I don't know, thing that a partner does in the pitch process that has nothing to do with the actual creative that's in their deck that gets your attention or makes you feel very confident that they've got this right that basically makes you say wow i really love working with these people i used to say this at uh at method was that we didn't win based on any one concept we won as a company that the presentation itself won um a lot of times where we would pitch something and we would get the award we would come back and we'd say okay which concept did you like and they wouldn't be able to tell us you know they liked multiple ones a little bit and they want to combine things or they liked, you know, it, it was oftentimes it was more us and our approach and our understanding of the client and the problems that they need to solve our understanding of the property, our passion that came through in the work itself. So it wasn't just passionate pitching. It was also clearly, you know, we put the work in cause we really cared about what we were doing. Um, and so I, yeah, I often say that you win, uh, as you, as, as the team, that you're the right person to partner with on the project. Um, that doesn't always happen. There are times when, you know, there are times when we don't like anything except in one pitch, there was one frame uh, in a storyboard where we're like, you know, style frame that we're like, that's it. Now we have to completely, we're going to, we're going to, you know, award it to them or tentatively award it to them, but we have to completely reimagine the rest of everything. But this one image is it, you know? And so, you know, sometimes it's just the image, uh, but most of the time it's, you know, you win, you win as a company because the, the entirety of the presentation shows your thought process and that you're the person to partner with. Um, I've also heard people say that, especially when you're receiving a pitch from someone you have not yet worked with, that it's an audition of what it's like to work with these people. So sure, the ideas are, of course, important, but it's equally or maybe, I don't know, more sometimes more important to understand what's it like to work with these people and how do they think and how do they collaborate? What do you think? I think that's important. I don't think it's equal to or greater than. I think for us, um, the, the, the desire to make sure that everything we do is, um, you know, is breaking boundaries, is, uh, is, is top-notch, you know, high quality that... Uh, comes through to the to the consumer that when they see it, they're like, that looks really interesting. That looks really cool. I want to go check that out. Um, you know, so w we have to put a premium on creative uh, and on and on quality of execution, because I would say that those two don't always go hand in hand. Right. Sometimes the creative is right. great, 
but the actual quality of execution is maybe uh, not quite there. Um, and then, uh, but in terms of how it's like to work with someone, I do think that that's a factor. Um, but I would say it's definitely secondary because for us, we just need to make sure that what we're getting is the best of the best. So sometimes, you know, we've, we've worked with, um, partners who maybe aren't as aligned as we are, um, in terms of, uh, process or culture. Um, but we've done so because they've, um, they've just shown us something that no one else has. Right. Whether or not we go back to them is another story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh. I'm thinking of the line I hear a lot in, right, when creative agencies are going, taking clients through the process, and it's this phrase called, don't tell me, show me. And I'm thinking, if I'm you, what I hear you saying is, hey, it's one thing to tell me about this great idea and tell me about the process we're going to go through, but you got to show me too. (laughs) That's really important. Um, You know, when we... At method when we used to do our pitches we would do boards and often when it's a really big pitch something really important we would do motion tests mm-hmm. and the motion test was a really strong proof of concept right like it really showed the the client that how we would how we would execute it we would often would do a on, motion on, test on the big yeah on the big concepts we would do a motion test and it, it was a a real proof of concept to show how we would actually execute something. Um, and even if we completely redid it when we actually got the award, it really, I think, went a, a long way. And, and in our current presentations that we receive as, as a client now, um, we almost never get motion tests. And I would say that when we do, um, it goes a long, long way. Um, even if the concept may not be, the, the frames, let's say, were not the strongest, uh, the designs themselves weren't the strongest, Somebody who comes in with a with a good, you know, a, a really solid concept, supported by a really great motion test, the ability for for us to see exactly how this will find its way to a finish um, is like can sometimes be an easy award, right? That's interesting. Yeah, that's I mean that's the show me part, right? I mean it's not just about like the 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 pitch versus the presentation itself, the work itself. It's also how far you take the work in showing what the ultimate outcome might look like. All right, let me let me pivot to try and conclude so you can uh, get back to those ten thousand emails. <laughs> well, you know what that was. So with the pan- with the pandemic, you lose the ability um, to just walk down the hallway and talk to somebody, right? And so um, we just everyone started emailing e- each other, and it's like I would say the vast majority of those are like I'm just cc'd on stuff, you know. Um, of course, and I couldn't keep up with it. You know, we, I'd be on zoom meetings all day long and I would just get hundreds of emails a day. And then over years of that, I just, you know, and I don't like just deleting emails. So I just, I, at some point, maybe I'll find time to just sit there and, and, you know, go through and try to do what I can, but (laughs) I'm pretty, I'm I'm up to date now. That's a, that's a big backlog of just, you know, probably a lot of CCs from the last like five years. Well, when you look into that future. Um, what else gets you excited about either, you know, where you are and where FX is, but also just maybe I'm curious to hear what gets you excited about our industry and where things are headed. Well, clearly the, the elephant in the room is AI. That's, that's going to, that's going to be a really interesting thing. You know, I, we've been experimenting with it on our end. Um, and it's, it's, you know, fascinating. Um, 
And I think um, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because I, I've been really big on um, developing automation tools that support the creative in a way where if I can take the busy work off of people's plates, I can let them be more creative. Um, and so what I keep trying to do is, is you know, develop tools that support artists in um, being able to have the highest level of creative quality while not um, making the the process after that, the versioning, the, you know, needing all these different, um, you know, uh, cards for scripts, all these different things that we need to do after the creative is initially established. If I can, if I can automate that in a way where the creative can be high, because a lot of times, you know, as we all have known, like when you, when you try to make something too, too turnkey, the creative comes down because you need to make it easily versionable, easily usable, you know, extendable. Um, and so we've developed tools internally that, that are like early day versions of, of like AI based tools to support the artist and being able to do something really cool. And then this system allows us to then use that and extend it without a lot of extra work, right? So we can do we can up the level of quality without worrying about the downstream process. And that's why I'm really excited about AI is the ability to do that times 10, right, where we never have to worry right. about that. We don't have to build custom tools every time. Um, so I think that's pretty exciting is like the ability to empower the artist as opposed to, you know, replace the artist. And so what I'm, you know, the thing I'm, I'm worried about with that is just making sure that that's really the way people in large use it. You know, I'm, I'm just hoping that everyone approaches it that way and we don't start, you know, seeing people trying to use it in a way where it actually takes takes jobs away from 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 artists and designers. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I, I'm excited about that. Um and uh, I'm curious to see how this whole streaming wars thing eventually shakes out. Um, right. It's quite the interesting environment <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, I'm just guessing that you are seeing shifts and there's a, what, is maturation too fancy of a word? You know, to, to, to apply that as the industry continues to, it went through all this crazy growth. Of streaming and now that's starting to mature and is that going to fragment is that going to consolidate i don't know i guess from your standpoint it's like who knows but it's going to be interesting well yeah i mean it's really interesting because the um when you think about the natural maturation process of an industry um it, it's all been it's been disrupted it's it's been accelerated so you know you've got the disruption that was initially created by netflix and then you've got um, the combination of, you know, what's become the, the global norm in terms of corporate consolidation to then, you know, compete in that way. And then you've got, um, investors moving the goalposts on what they deem to be, you know, success in the streaming world. You've got, uh, the pandemic, which just completely changed everything. Um, you've got, and now you've got, now you've got the, 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 um, double Hollywood strike, which is the first time in what, 63 years that we've got the double strike. Um, and what's going to come out of that, the deal-making process that ultimately will probably come out of that will then again, do things that will, I think, further accelerate that maturation process, right? So where maybe the streaming wars ultimately would have, would have ended with some kind of a, an interesting, um, potential reversal uh, back to something, you know, some sort of bundling or whatever may have happened to kind of reconsolidate and, and um, 
and balance the 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 industry uh it might have taken what 10 years or more you know um and it's just been like the last five years i feel like i feel like i've aged 15 in the last five you know so it'll, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years for sure well i think uh, is it safe to say that the world will still need lots of help finding great content navigating great content right uh exposure and, and excitement generated around all of that stuff so as long as that's the case i think you're going to be a busy man. Yeah, there's a there's a sign um, that I saw. I think it was on a WGA um, uh, picketer sign, and it said, uh, "AI never had childhood trauma." And uh, I think that's kind of like a really good way to look at the you know human ingenuity and, and creativity. Um, and you know they can algorithmically try to. Uh, you know, come up with poetry based on what po poets have done, you know, for for hundreds or thousands of years, but they, they're not just going to kind of create something new, right? So I think, um, I think that that's true. And I think no matter what happens, um, creativity and design and the need for, um, I think the need to, to give people something that they feel is new and different and fresh and, and of a high level of quality is, is always going to be there. Um, you got to, and, and more, more so than ever, you have to cut through the noise, right? So, um, it takes, I think it takes a lot of, uh, innovation to, to do that. Yeah. It takes newness and new, like synthesis, right? When you talked about the brand pillars and the tone and the, the show, everything, all that and synthesizing that in a way and creating something that is new, it's not simply a rehash of what's old yeah it's like it's alchemy it's, it's, <laughs> it's very complicated yeah it's actually very very complicated and to land on something simple ultimately as well yep simple that you know audiences can engage with and be enthusiastic about well man i can't say thank you enough for carving some time out to have a, a chat i'm so glad we finally got to have this conversation and especially on the pitching thing i mean i'm just really I so appreciate your perspective, especially coming from the agency and partners world previously, um, to be able to be, uh, I think, a voice of sort of balance and and um, offer a perspective that I think is refreshing. So thanks for having this conversation. Sure, of course. I'm uh, anytime. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.